This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. We're regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. My name is Matt, and with me today are Karen and Eric. Uh, So we left off last week uh, after Genesis 5. Yeah, we went through Genesis 5. Uh, So we're starting in Genesis 6, and we've gotten ourselves... See, I got to actually open my Bible to remember where I am. Yeah, six through eleven, and um, just my my notes are are good, but they're confusing me right now. Well, we got the uh, corruption of the earth and the the flood. Yeah. Okay. Is the the main. uh, What was throwing me off is I was remembering that we had gotten through the genealogy all the way up to Noah, and I was trying to remember how much we had actually talked about Noah. Right, it gets confusing because we have Noah's genealogy again. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So the first thing that uh, tipped my brain here was this idea of the sons of God and the daughters of men. Um, And I've heard all kinds of different theories about what that could be. Some people are like the way out there ones, in my opinion, like way out there. Like, yeah, aliens came to the planet and uh, made it with with the women here and created this line of giants and i don't know that's that's out there that one's pretty bizarre um the other one of course saying that uh fallen angels mated with women um which there again doesn't work for me because later on jesus said that there is no that kind of thing just doesn't even happen in heaven you know? except, yeah, except they aren't in heaven. Right. They so, came from there, and that was their their assignment. There's nowhere to, no, nowhere else do we see angels tasked with be fruitful and multiply. Right. We see no evidence whatsoever, at least I don't, yeah. uh, of angels procreating. See, yeah, just and that's the thing with, with a lot of this what's going on here. Um, uh, skipping ahead to Tower of Babel, there are a lot of things that get read into it. Mm-hmm. Or they come from tradition, or they come from extra biblical sources that aren't in the text, at least not where we read it. And this is one of those occasions where we have um, the sons of God uh, and the daughters of man. Yeah. And then we come up with these uh, Nephilim, and there are there are um, groups of people who see the Nephilim as some sort of uh, mix of of angels and and men also. Mm-hmm. But what really struck me, and I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't subscribe to that personally. But when we're looking at these, um, these early people, we got to remember that they were still coasting on the genes exactly. from Adam and Eve. Exactly. And these people were made to, I believe, live forever mm-hmm. um, with with access to the tree of life between what, how they were created and the access to the tree of life, they were meant to live forever. Now they did not have access to the tree of life at this point, but they still did have the, um, the awesome created bodies that they have. I mean, the lineages here are, you know, in our minds, just crazy, super long. Yeah. And they're very, very big people. I mean, we see, we see traces of these people, Showing up um, in the times of uh, David. Yeah. Yeah. We've got races of giants. Yeah. We've got Goliath. In, in Canaan. Yeah. Basham, yeah. what was that king's name that had such a. I think it was Og. 
Yeah, was that what it was? Yeah. So the only right. other place in the Bible that I remember this phrase, sons of God, is in the first couple of chapters of Job. And it's translated a couple of different ways. I've got a parallel Bible with four versions side by side. So in Job chapter 1, verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came among them. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then that's in the New King James, and then the NIV translates that same verse. One day the angels came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came with them. So I get where some of the stuff comes from. Yeah. I get that, but we just don't know the answer. <clears throat> right. It's a huge curiosity, though. So the theory that I prescribed to the most and makes the most sense to me is that <laughs> the sons of God would have been the line of Seth, where the daughters of men would have been from the line of Cain. Does that ring with either of you? Well, that could certainly be. I don't know why they would be bigger than other people. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know that those... And, and again, we're assuming that Genesis reads chronologically. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that chapter follows chapter, yeah. and that verse follows verse. Yeah. And we've got to look at the idea, or remember anyways, that this entire thing is not written like a live baseball broadcast. Right. This whole thing is written in summary, in retrospect, and they're dropping in information that I'm sure to the readers would have been common knowledge. Yeah. That yeah. they would have known what this meant. Um, we don't. I don't claim to know what this means. But um, that may account for a little bit of the, to some degree, jumbled nature of of what's going on. And it's difficult to unpack what's jumbled and what's not. We don't even know how literal Moses' understanding of all this was. Isn't he the one putting this stuff together? That's the tradition, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I I do believe that this is an accurate overview. Yeah. But I think we uh, get into trouble when we try to make it a science text. Right, yeah. Because that's not its intent. Um, yeah. We Because what it's leading into, and this is this is the main thing, is that we can pick apart the text and deconstruct it that way and come up with some pretty interesting things. But really what the author is getting at here is things were good mm -hmm. and then things got bad. Yes. And then they got really, really bad. Yes. And that's where the author is going with this. They're not trying to give us a, um, you know, a genetics lesson. Mm -hmm. Well, they should be. Well, they're not. And we have been, um, <laughs> so we have on five. I think this is an interesting thing. Is the Lord, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's yeah. really, really bad. And That's I would bad. point out, to, I, I would ask this question. If there was no law until Exodus 20, Based upon what are these people evil? Right. And, and here's the deal. If if I got into court and they said, oh, you know, we, we're pulling you in for jaywalking. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then they say, well, and by the way, since you're wearing an orange sweater, that's a life sentence. You know, I'm like, what? You, but you never told me. It's like, well, we just made that up just now. I, that's, that's the height of unfairness right there, mm -hmm. right? To be To be punished for something that didn't exist. You didn't know it was a problem. And all of a sudden, now you're busted for it. That's that would be the case if there were no laws, there was no moral law long before the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. And yet here we go. The mankind, all of us, not this way predates Jews, 
are in trouble. Yeah. And they're in trouble for doing something very, very wrong. God has judged them worthy of the death sentence. And that's a big deal. I mean, we humans take it as a big deal to, to judge somebody worthy of the death sentence. Yeah. Um, and God is making this judgment on the entire planet. And I can't but feel that God has judged them based on something very real mm -hmm. before this happens. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there had to have been some standard even before this because for God to judge against Cain, there had, you know, there had to have been something there that Cain understood that he was uh, acting against. Otherwise, how, you know, you know, well, you're going to get even more banished than people got banished before. And, you know, but just because you did something I, I didn't like, but I didn't tell you about, you know, there's, this makes sense. There's definitely more going on. Yeah. You know, I'll, we'll, we'll come back to, to six, but when skipping ahead to seven, uh, in seven, two, there, it says, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. Mm -hmm. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't think clean animals arrived on the scene until Leviticus. Right. Yeah, the children of Israel. You know, what's this clean animals business? I mean, right. this is showing up again as, way before the Jews. As contrasted by unclean animals a few words later. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. so there is there is this thing, and I've heard it proposed, well, Moses just went back to justify all the stuff that he did later. Well, at that point, Genesis is meaningless. Right. I mean, Moses just made it all up at that point, <laughs> and you can't trust any of it. And once you go down that road, um, pretty much you, you pick and choose yeah. as to what you're going to believe instead of trying to figure out what it's, what it's saying. So, so yeah. there we are. So, yeah, we definitely see that there had to have been some semblance of law in place before this happened. And also when we get, um, well, verse 8, it puts it right out there in the Old Testament but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a huge story of grace, not, not just of law, not just of judging wickedness. You know, it's, it's so easy to gloss over the story because we're so familiar with it. We've been told it since we were kids, you know, and the more we dig into it, the more we learn how different things were from what we were taught. I mean, as a kid, I remember as a young child being taught that there were two animals, two of everything. And then you find out later, wait, there were seven of some. And I'm even wondering, 14? or is it 14? Because the way it reads is what, you know, seven of each male and it's female. Yeah, well, it depends how it's translated. Yeah, so it's, you know, I mean, that's another one of those things we could try to dig in real deep and probably just get stuck in mud. But there's um, definitely a difference between the clean and the unclean. And yeah. of course, nowadays we have enough science to know that um, if you, that you want to, if you're going to eat it, or like build a society with it, you need a cleaner gene pool. Mm -hmm. So you need a bigger breeding pool. Yeah. Like that's just kind of how that works. Yeah. Um, so, but um, the idea that God has, again, I mean, I, we're only in chapter seven of the Bible, not chapter seven of the Bible. Oh yeah, of the Bible. Yeah. And we've already found all kinds of grace all over this, this yeah. story of mankind. All yeah. kinds of grace. I mean, Adam and Eve should should have died the moment they touched that fruit to their lips. I mean, they should have just fallen apart. In my, the way I look at it, they probably should have just gone to the basic atoms back to dust back immediately. To Do over. And, but 
but God gave him grace there. And, and here the entire, we're not even that far into it. What did I say last week? I mean, we're only, I don't even remember how far we're in, 1,500? No, I don't remember how many years we are. But oh, the, when you added up everybody's lifespan? Yeah. Yeah, just over 1,500 years. And the entire human race is already to the point where if we don't wipe it out, if we don't do something, do something to reset, this is going to be in a sorry, sorry, sad state that just cannot go on. Well, if you think about the stuff that we see on the news now, it's kind of discouraging when you think of human nature. Like it doesn't, the news is not a great way to look around at your fellow man and go, oh yeah, aren't we all such nice children of God, right? Yeah. So if you were to take those inclinations and combine them with perfectly healthy bodies and mm -hmm. huge physical strength and hundreds of years to come up with new ideas and ways yeah. to be entertained and a brain which which has a capacity that far outstrips everything we have now well yeah. guess what they probably weren't so great yeah. like we can do a lot of damage in our few decades that we live mm -hmm. but yeah i mean the lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled yeah that's not good no no and at some point in here we got our lifespan reduced by whatever means i've heard all kinds of things things like you know, our diet changed and our lifespan got reduced. I have a tendency to think it's just uh, the effects of sin in general. Well, remember, they were living, it was a lot of things going on at once. A lot yeah. of things. For sure. Um, One of the most interesting things I've heard was this idea, like nowadays, if you take something like fibromyalgia or uh, some kind of physical need for a lot of healing, one of the ways that you can capitalize on your cellular regeneration and pain control and sort of put your body at its best is to put somebody in a hyperbaric chamber. Well, nowadays that's really complicated and you have to buy the device and you have to shelter it from the outside atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, if you've got a layer of water over the earth, this is a very protected thing and we're basically living in a hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. So mm -hmm. then when that collapses, yeah, the entire atmosphere changes. The yeah. way the earth reproduces changes. The way the animals and the humans reproduce changes. The stuff you breathe changes. Everything changes. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that the uh, the flood itself as it happened greatly, greatly, greatly changed everything. Yeah. It just changed everything. So let's go back to um, Noah in 6 where he's offered grace. I find it worthy of note that God had decided his judgment. And even though he found Noah um, and Noah found favor, found grace in God's eyes, God didn't stop the judgment because of that. Right. He provided a way through that judgment for Noah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times today we just think, well, we wish God would just, just not do it, that he would just not do the judgment, that the bad times wouldn't come. And that's not what happened. Adam and Eve did get booted from the garden. Now they were given a grace, a, a promise of a savior. But they were still outside the garden. God pronounced judgment on the earth and judgment happened on the earth. Yeah. And God provided a way through that for Noah. It's, it's interesting that God makes a covenant with Noah in 618. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and wives with you, and 
et cetera, et cetera. He brings all of these um, animals with them. That Noah had to do something. It wasn't just that God said, you know, okay, so I want you to go down this valley and then, you know, hang a left and then hang a right. And then then you're going to find this great big boat. (laughs) Right? I mean, Noah had to take an active, hands-on approach. Now, God told him how to build this thing. Yeah. And Noah could have said, yeah, you know, I don't know. And 300 cubits, that's like, why don't we just, I'll make it 150 cubits. And instead of doing it out of this wood, I think I just make it out of balsa because man, carrying that gopher wood stuff, that's really hard. It's <laughs> yeah. heavy stuff. You know, yeah. is that and we we again we skip over this. Is that the idea is like, well, if God has favor and he has grace, then pretty much just like anything will do. Right? I mean, he's gonna God's God's gonna save, he's gonna save. So yeah. why why limit God's saving grace by doing what he says? <laughs> um I think he would have died. I think that would have been the end had yeah. Noah said, you know, I think I'm just going to make a kind of an open top boat here. We're just going to make a raft yeah. and everybody can just get on it. And then, uh, you know, we'll just put little handrails around the outside edge and you just hang on. That sounds safe. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, they had no idea what a worldwide flood would be like. And quite frankly, I don't think we know now either. No. They didn't even so, know what rain would be like. Right. So we have, we have Noah following God's instructions. It shows up twice very explicitly. In 6.22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. (laughs) And we have it again in 7.5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Mm -hmm. And today we, we look at this and we think, oh, how quaint. You know mm-hmm. that, that he that he followed God's commands. You know, isn't it nice that today we can we can pretty much just freestyle? Yay, relativism. <laughs> it's probably not literal. And I don't think that Noah's salvation was any different than ours. He was saved by God's grace. God said, "I'm mm-hmm. going to see you through this, and here's how you're going to get through this." Yeah. You know, you you build it this way, and then you get in the ark, and then and this is important. And, and this is in 7.16. They went in, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Mm-hmm. Like Noah didn't come in and pull the door shut behind him. The Lord shut him in. Yeah. So this is God's doing from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. To see him through this. So it isn't Noah that sees him through this. It's God. But Noah had to do what Noah had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if Noah hadn't built this, if he'd built a raft, it would have ended badly. Yeah. I guess I'm remembering what James, is it James that mm-hmm. says, talking about, you know, faith and works. And, and I guess I'm, I, I guess yes. I'm thinking about like what, what kind of person living in this awful atmosphere of earth is the one that stands out him and his family. So that God says that person right there, that's my person. I'm going to save them. And here's how I'm going to do it. Like, how did that grace fall on him? He was already that guy. Yeah. He was already the guy yeah. that follows all the commandments of God. Yeah. So, like, James is, you know, James is saying, like, I'll show you my faith by my works. Like, Noah was already right. walking the walk. And he's, and that's the reason he was the one, like, God didn't pick somebody over here who had a set of beliefs in his head that he never followed and told him to, you know, well, you've got the ideals. You've got the theology. Your theology is great. So I'm going to have you build the ark. Mm-hmm. Right? 
you know. Yeah, it's required a doer. Yeah. I don't know. These are the rabbit holes I like to go down sometimes with these things. The spec, the speculative of the, the likelihood of these things happening, right? Um, so I was looking at the dimensions of the ark just to get <laughs> in my head how big this thing would be. The monster. And so it says 300 cubits by 50 cubits wide by 30 cubits tall. Mm -hmm. And so we assume that a cubit is, a, is around 18 inches, being yeah. the length from a man's elbow to the tip of his fingers, or maybe Karen's because she's freakishly hey. tall. Hey, <laughs> hey. Um, I am not part of the Nephilim. <laughs> but so um, if we take that at the 18 inches, that makes a 450-foot-long boat. Wait a minute, I just thought of something. Hmm. If the measurement of a... Of a cubit yeah, is fingertips yeah, to yeah. elbows, and people you're, are massively giant. You're then going right where I was going next. A cubit now might not be a cubit. It's like a pace. The, the next thing I looked up, because I was trying to think of who else do we know of who's tall, <laughs> and we're given dimensions for, and we're given Goliath. Mm -hmm. And Goliath, I'd have to look again. I, I it's either a nine or eleven feet. I rounded up to ten feet. Is that what you got out of it? I think I rounded up. Well, to but, 10 but feet. it measures him in cubits too, doesn't mm -hmm. it? And so it's kind of like, well, but, what are we using for a cubit? But so I, I did a little math there, and if my math is correct, and I am terrible at math. He's an electrician, everybody. He can't do math. I can do a little. <laughs> I can I can add. Um, but I think that if you go by the dimensions of a Okay, I say average. Six feet tall is probably not average. I'm a little <laughs> taller than a lot of people, but you know, I'm six two and I'm my arm is probably close to that 18-inch mark. But if you do some some ratio math there and you go up to a 10-foot tall person, I came up with an arm length of a cubit length then would be about 30 inches. Yeah, this thing was a monster. And so if that were the case then you would go from a 450 foot long boat. So you're going, okay, help me. I'm not a sports guy. A football field is 300 yards, 300 yards, uh, 100 yards, 100 yards, 100 yards 100, 300 feet. So 300 yeah, feet. So the first one would be a football field, a and, foot a field and, and a half. Now, if we go up to the next one, that's a 750 foot long boat. <laughs> if you go with a 30 inch long cubit, so, I mean, either way, this is a really, the pretty big boat, you know, and I don't know, boat is, is sort of a relative term because there, I, there's no mention of a rudder. There's no mention of sails. This thing was just intended to float, period. I don't know how, you know, it's not like it's supposed to be comfortable. There's no mention of how big your cabin was, you know, you were probably sleeping next to a donkey. I don't know, but, um. But so, that, I mean, that makes for a very, very large boat. And then, um, you know, we talk about two or seven or 14, whichever the case may be, of right. each animal going into this boat. There's always a lot of assumption that we're talking about every single, you know, we think of all the different variations that we have of animals these days. But just think about how many different breeds of dogs have been created in the last, I don't know, 100 years, 200 years. Every time I get on, I'm finding that there's a, a new type. Hey, there's this new kind of dog. It's a fad. I'm like, well, what was that when I was a kid? Yeah. So who's to say? I mean, there's no reason that we have to think that every single, every single genus or species was represented here, but that you could have had two 
dogs. It wouldn't have to be yeah. two what, poodles, what two cockapoodles. Yeah. yeah, you know, it wouldn't have to be like that. It wouldn't have to be Asian and African elephants. It wouldn't have to be, you know, every single thing. Yeah, it could have been right. Yeah, representation. We've got to have chihuahuas yeah. and huskies and mm-hmm. labradors and labradoodles and. Well, that's true. I'm with you. That probably huskies were the only kind. Probably and they all degenerated the, from there. Yeah, that was the original perfect dog. So I found this um, just for the heck of it. We're talking about people. Mm-hmm. It's in Deuteronomy three, uh, eleven. For Og, the king of Bashan, was yeah. left as the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length. Nine cubits. <laughs> That's roughly 14 feet long. Yeah. That's it's a big dude. A really, 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 really big bed. And he's a yeah. leftover of a particular race. Yeah. So yeah. these your idea of having a cubit of variable size is mm-hmm. yes, I think yeah, we can we can speed into some of these things and and uh, of course, miss, yeah. miss some of that. But I, I've actually seen um, it's fun to think some of the, the math. Um, Using just a regular 18-inch cubit, mm-hmm. if we want to go there, and how many animals a three-decked ship like this could actually hold, mm-hmm. it is pretty mind-blowing how many animals can actually fit in a place like this. Yeah. Well, yeah. and speaking of cubits, so if you look in 721, well, let's start in 20, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the highest mountains. Yeah. That's how deep this thing was. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's there's another assumption that goes into that that hadn't occurred to me until years later. This is assuming that all the mountains then were like all the mountains now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you if Everest was formed in the process of this, or after in the aftershocks, then the height of the mountains is. What we're doing is we're guessing at some of these things. Yeah. And again, this isn't a science text. I mean, it gives us some specific things to say, yeah, no, don't worry about it. There was nobody standing on a tall mountain and they snuck past. <laughs> I believe that that's the, um, the intent of the, of the information here was to say, no, nobody escaped it. Yeah. Every, yeah. What, is, what does it say? Everything on the earth that had the breath of life in its nostrils perished. Yes. So another aspect of the story that gets questioned by the scientific community is uh, how did so much water end up on the planet? Now, they'll say there's no way to get enough rain for that to happen. Well, if you look in verse 11, it talks about how... Seven. uh, Seven. Yes, thank you. Um, Okay, first of all, I like that there's a lot of really kind of specific dates put to this, but that's not my point here. Um... The second month, 17th day of the month, you know, but the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So we're not talking only about rain, talking about also water coming up from underground. Now, you can Google this today. I just did it this week. And there are theories and they're legitimate theories. They're not crackpots, you know, that there's enough water underground that there's three times more water underground than the oceans combined on the planet. 
So imagine if that water were able to come up somehow. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is it's there. Yeah. I remember back in creation where there was, you know, the spirit moved over the face of the deep. And the first thing that God did was separate the waters. Yeah. He separated the waters under the sky from the waters some goes above up the sky. And some goes down. Yeah, and that's where that whole kind of hyperbaric chamber idea of like the original state of the earth comes. And yeah. then if that collapses, that's mm-hmm. a massive amount of water. I don't think that was, yeah. but that yeah. leaves us with the atmosphere we have mm-hmm. today. Yeah, somebody proposed that to me in discussion just casually uh, a couple of years ago. The idea that there was a gigantic, basically an ice shield in the upper atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It would have made this planet a greenhouse, mm-hmm. higher oxygen. Because when you look at the, the size of the trees and, and, the, and the amount of um, vegetation that we are now driving around, putting in our gas tanks, um, <laughs> yeah. there's there was a lot, a lot. Of, and, and the irony is, is that that greenery, um, that that biological mass was in what is now the most deserted, literally desert parts of our planet. <laughs> so yeah. something was very different yes i mean it just it was very different and if you build a giant uh terrarium greenhouse you can grow big things Mm -hmm. quite fast and you pump enough oxygen onto it it, you can get some things that are very different we're speculating here at things and to back to my point is that this a friend of mine what what she was talking to me about never occurred to me it's like well what if there was you know this giant shield of ice that allowed some rays through kept using a greenhouse concentrated the oxygen and that whole thing fell like what literally would happen if an upper atmosphere of ice just all fell at once and i remember man it was years ago not too many years ago because you remember karen when uh, the hailstorm hit evans oh my and there was like four or five feet of hail yeah in some areas and that happened in what 15 minutes yeah terrifying i mean i i don't know because before I got to Colorado, somebody could say, oh, yeah, you could dump five feet of hail in about 15 minutes and be like, oh, you're smoking crack. There is no, first of all, you can't ever get that much hail, number one. Number two, it can't come in that short a time. <laughs> and three, during the summer, no way. Because, you know, summer, hot, yeah. ice, cold, doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. And yet, it happened. And yet, it happened. And we have pictures <laughs> of that. And we, I think, underestimate the incredible power of nature. We're like, I must have always been because I've only seen such and such. So such and such must be the only thing that exists. Yeah. It's a is a mighty proud way to look at things. Yeah. Because we're discovering things in science all the time. Yeah. And some of those things turn over what we know before. But but again, this is is telling us a few things. And I think that the narrative is intending to be more we can we can look and speculate and wonder what happened, but it is mostly about the, dis- the wickedness of mankind, mm-hmm. mankind's destruction, and God's grace in seeing them through that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Also, that in seven ten, after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And again, we're we've 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 jumped out of our timeline because in seven uh, sixteen is where God, you know, the Lord shut him in. But in 710 is after seven days, the flood came upon the earth. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're, we're kind of going back and forth over this. We have to kind of build our own timeline. God shut them in. They were in there for seven days. Yep. And the first time I read this, I made a note of my margin, is that um, 
Rahab was confined in her home for seven days before the fall of Jericho. Mm. And she had been told, okay, Rahab, this is what you do. You get everybody that you love into this one room and you put a red cord outside the window. Yeah. That was an act of faith. It wasn't an act of like red cord save you, right? As I'm sure later people started wearing red bracelets because that's what save you (laughs) because that's how we work as human beings. Yeah. Um, But she was given a thing to do it was a very specific thing to do that would result in her saving. Right. And she was asked to just wait in that house. Now, Noah here was told in 7-4 that in seven days I will send rain. Yeah. She wasn't told, I don't think, how long she was going to have to wait. No. She just had to do what she was told to do. And I imagine if she just, again, if she just said, you know, red cord's really expensive. I can get some brown hemp, you know, for pretty cheap. I'm just not going to do that. The and, Israelites, I'm thinking of the Israelites too, like kill the spotless lamb, paint the lentil of your, you know, like there's all the way through is very specific things. Naaman, you know, like there's all these examples. And so they were, Noah was in there for seven days waiting, wondering what was going to happen. And I imagine during that time, I would have been thinking, is this even going to happen? Like crazy. Why am I doing this? Um, what's what's going on i don't think noah was i don't think noah probably had that concern like he spent 120 years building this thing he's talking to god he's following god's directions god brings the animals god shuts the door noah noah seems like the kind of guy who's okay with waiting seven days that makes so yeah but he 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 waited seven days and then he waited roughly a year I, I have a terrible attention span. I would have trouble waiting seven days. I'd be like, this is a lot of animal poop. Can we go? I, nothing's happening. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine it was comfortable at all. I think <laughs> Noah probably had a little bit steadier character than I do. <laughs> well, I suppose there's a reason he was chosen. Um, let's see. Yeah, I was talking a bit there about yeah the specific dates. The spe- when, anytime somebody puts a date to something, that lends some credibility to me. Now the dates they have here, they mean very little to me because I don't, I don't think in the Hebrew calendar. You know, I tend to think in the the what do we call ours? The, the Gregorian the Greek, calendar. The Gregorian calendar. Um, but obviously, to people reading this, this would have had. I mean, they they would have just read through this genealogy. They would have had some kind of idea what year this was happening, in relation to them what date, what day, you know, and um, so it, it, I don't know, it seems pretty odd even today for fiction works to give specific dates about things. Sometimes, but very rarely, usually they're trying to, usually if it's something fictional, they try to keep it more into a generalized time frame whereas here that's like this day this month you know it was it was at, at this particular time and there's several times through through these chapters where um specific dates were given oh yeah um very specific ones relative to things that they knew which we may say mm-hmm. is like oh well, i mean they're not giving us like the actual year it's just relative to what Adam, or to, to yeah. Adam and to, to Noah and so on like this. And that's coming from our Western worldview. Yeah. Um, I lived in a place once, one uh, out in the Pacific, and I remember asking somebody, oh, I don't remember what I asked them about. Um, 
when such and such happened and they said ah that was the year they caught the big white fish mm. and i was like uh, <laughs> what does that mean is, but everybody else there local reference everybody else there knew what that meant mm-hmm. and things were measured relative to that yeah and that is um that was just part of what it is so as we look at these things and, and just because they don't give the year bc blah 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 right uh, I don't think it makes it any less accurate because their lives were what, yeah. they, what yeah. they knew of it. But, but putting the date on it gives somebody an opportunity to call shenanigans. You know, uh, It'll that, give some people an anchor point and mm-hmm. other people will be like, eh, I can disprove that. Well, yeah. But you know, the people at the time when Moses was writing this, they would have been able to have some, it would have given them some kind of idea when that would have happened. Oh, yeah. And you know, there was going to be plenty of word of mouth um, going down. Um, so... Noah is in the ark with Noah and his family. Shouldn't forget them in the ark for quite a while. Um, yeah, not, would not have been a fun time. You have a note here that, um, that most scholars, and I did the math here too, and I came up with similar numbers, put the duration of the rain um, from the rain start to the exit of the ark somewhere between 371 and 376 days. Yeah, because so he was just six, over a year. Yeah, he yeah. was 600. It says his age. At one point, it says Noah yeah. was 621. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, most of them land within a five day range of mm-hmm. it just being a little over a week over a year. So, it's a year and a week. Uh, very long time. And they get out. And there's some really interesting things that happen when they get out. Um, I find it fascinating that one of the first things that they do is they sacrifice in 820 mm-hmm. they sacrifice some of these clean animals he took some of every clean animal yeah and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar maybe it was that seventh one so they could even everything out yeah i don't know whatever it was <laughs> unless it was in pairs unless it was in pairs you have just sacrificed a pretty significant portion yeah. of the entire population yeah. Of that species. Yeah. On the planet. Yeah. So you've got to be pretty committed at that point to do that. Mm-hmm. Really do that. Um, there was something that there was something I noticed in nine that I had never noticed before in all the times I've waited through this. So in nine five, he's talking about how you he starts off talking about how you eat. Like everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. Um, but then in five, it says, he kind of shifts topic. And then he says, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Well, that was interesting. Like he's going to, I get that among humans, but I guess I think of animals as a lower life form mm. who aren't necessarily They're not. higher reasoning. And yet right. God says right here, he'll demand an accounting from every animal too. I noticed that this time too. Yeah, That's interesting. I don't know what that means. I don't know, but something else that stood out to me along that exact same line is skip down to 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. 
I have set my bow in the cloud. You know, everybody makes little cards like, oh, it's a rainbow. And, you know, if we get a little more serious, it's like, okay, well, that's God's sign between Noah and his, his descendants and God that he's not going to flood the earth again. I had never noticed that God is making a covenant. The covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature. God is making a covenant with the creatures. Yeah. And I noticed that too, Karen, when I read that this time, that I require reckoning for lifeblood. Yeah, yeah. And reckoning is, as I understand, it's kind of, it's a judgment. It's like, all right, I'm going to call you on the, you know, on the spot right now, and I want you to Tell me about this. Yeah, in the so that was NIV I was reading before. In the, in the New King James, it says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. That's so interesting. Man. Yeah. So apparently yeah. there's, apparently there is actually, I, I guess what I got out of this <clears throat> is, is apparently there's some level of God-given instinct, God-guided instinct and choice that goes on in animals. Which is kind of an interesting thought. Yeah. It makes me think a little bit differently about creatures as God making a covenant with them. Yes. Um, they are worthy of, of that. Yeah, before, before we yeah, leave this, I think one of the questions that, that was in my mind for many, many years um, about the, what happened to the ark, we're talking mm-hmm. about an area ripe for speculation. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would be one of them, but the one that is the least scientific and yet makes the most sense to me, that could be, could be still frozen up there in Ararat, which by the way, I was uh, going through a collection of old catalogs and I had one that gave all the heights of the world's tallest mountains. Ararat is over 16,000 feet high. That's a big old mountain. Mm. This is, I mean, in Colorado, we're pretty proud. We've got 54-ish, depending on how you want to count them, (laughs) mountains that are 14,000 feet or higher. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't have anything that's 16,000 feet. No. Yeah, I'm from Alaska. We've got some. you got a few, <laughs> right? But nothing down here. Right. And Ararat's a massive thing. So maybe it's buried in the ice up there somewhere. But picture this. And this is specifically, uh, whether you're a uh, man or woman here, you've just survived a year floating in this boat. And you've landed on a mountain somewhere. And... We're going to be like, where do we live now? Let's go down the valley and let's build a house. Well, with what? Everything's been wiped out. And I've been married for 27 years. And I can imagine um, my wife saying, you know, hey, let's build a house. And I say, well, with what? She's like, look up there on the hill. There's a big pile of lumber. I'm like, no, no, let's save that for future generations. (laughs) There is no way that's happening. No. We are taking apart that ark. Yeah. And we're building a house. Yeah. And our kids are taking apart the ark and they're building a house and we're mm. building a barn and we're built. Yeah. This is the only hewn wood on the planet. We're yeah. not popping down to Lowe's, you know, with a pickup truck and getting lumber. Right. Yeah. I think Lowe's probably flooded. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, <laughs> yeah. It was a bad year. Yeah. So <laughs> to me, when I heard, when I heard somebody else propose that to me, I'm like, yeah, that arc would have been. I mean, come on, we can't even keep the the pyramids in. We we stripped all the marble off of that yeah. because people didn't. They didn't think like, oh, let's leave that for future generations. It's like, no, I think I'm gonna have a marble bathroom. <laughs> I know where to get some. Yeah, and they'd go and raid it, and that has been the course of virtually all archaeology. Oh, see now that's so interesting. So when I was a kid, I read this book called Secrets of the Lost Races, 
And in it is an interview with an old Turkish guy whose dad took him up the mountain I've, when he was yes, a kid. I've seen those and, and because I read that when I was a kid, it actually never entered my head that the art wasn't sitting up on Ararat someplace. It might be, might not be. Formative years. See, yeah. But, but my thing is, is that it's, that doesn't, that doesn't prove or disprove it to me. No. Right. I, I've been um, following the, the publications and the materials of the uh, Geoscience Creation Institute. It's based out of Andrews University. It's a, it's a creationist um, organization of academics that believe in intelligent design and the flood. There is so much, so much that is whack about our geology in this on this planet that is difficult to explain by rain. Like, oh, we had some rain and then it, it you know washed some stuff away. It did these, I mean, there is so much on this planet that speaks to catastrophic, cataclysmic oh, yeah. activity happening yeah. here that we can look at and say, well, it's probably an asteroid. It was probably just a bajillion, bajillion years. I don't know. And I don't claim to know all these things. But the narrative in Genesis is that people were so awful that God had to do a do-over. Mm -hmm. And he created a way so that people who were willing could get into And it's, it's interesting. It's not in here that Noah preached 120 years. That actually shows up in the New Testament where it talks about Noah. Oh, I never preached. separated those out. Right, but you didn't read it here. No, I didn't. No, nope. right, because that actually shows up later. It's one of those little, little asides that, mm -hmm. that they drop in. It's probably in James or Peter. <laughs> they're the ones who do that. But that Noah preached for 120 years. And, and Jesus even talks about that, like, in the last days. And I think that this would absolutely needs to be studied because Jesus himself yes. refers to the last days as it was in the days, days of, of Noah. Noah yeah. yep. And if we if we take the days of Noah and we're like, that's probably just a metaphor, well, then what, Jesus is referring to something that didn't happen? I mean, that's he, kind of what he, you're left with. He could if you were going to say that it was just a reference point of a story everybody knew, but it doesn't seem likely that he, he would yeah, do that. Yeah, he's... He's talking about the end of all things. Yeah. And if he's like, let me tell you about the story of the end of all things. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when Mickey met Minnie and it's like, okay, well, now hey, we've just left reality. Now we're getting personal. All right. I'm not feeling attacked right now. <laughs> Disney's real, Matt. It's okay. <laughs> well, Love my, your time. My point is this, is that Jesus is, is giving people, he's, he's pointing out, this is, these are some of your cues of the end of all things. Yes. And it would be foolish, perilous <laughs> to ignore that. Mm. And Jesus talks about in the, 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 the end comes suddenly. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to that when we get to some New Testament things, but that it comes you know, without warning. <laughs> and so on. But it also uses the metaphor of pregnancy. We were talking before we started the podcast, you know, Karen was mentioning something about one of um, a pregnancy that she had. And so we, when you're going to deliver is an unknown. The fact that you're pregnant does not stay unknown forever. No. That, and labor pains are quite distinct. It's on its way. Yeah. And, and Jesus talks about these things as, as being congruent, the the uh, 
as labor pains come mm -hmm. along. All the, what does and, he say? All this is the beginning of labor pains or yes. something like this? And and it talks about also the uh, the flood in Noah, as it was in the days of Noah. Um, they'll be marrying, giving in marriage. Right up until the day. Right up until the day. And it's an interesting thing is that the people were not ignorant of a coming event. I mean, Noah is building a boat mm -hmm. for an event that's never happened. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to draw attention. In a society that is not spread out all over the world. Right. And he's been preaching this message for 120 years. Mm -hmm. So although the rain hasn't been happening for 120 years, the preaching that it is coming has been happening. And it's been happening not only by his words, but by his action. Yeah. Again, you take it to the book of James. It'd be really hard to believe Noah if he's like, oh, yeah, flood's coming, it's coming, and y'all ought to do something. I'm not doing anything, but, you know, you should probably do something. <laughs> no, he's actually doing something, and he's preaching, and they were warned. Now, when the rain came, that was a surprise. They're like, oh, like, this is for real. That? And it was very, very for real. And, you know, as we read here in Genesis, wiped out the entire population of the planet that was, and every thing that had drew the breath of life mm -hmm. um, from the planet that wasn't in the ark. Yeah. And I, I think it's worthy of remembering that the, these things in, in the Bible echo. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's one here. Yes. Then it, then it uh, shows us, you know, an insight into the future. And if we were to look at the idea of the book of Revelation and God's judgment as being purely metaphorical, it's all in, it's just all in your own soul. It's like all in your own mind. No, these people who died in the flood, I think, did not die in their mind in some kind of matrix thing. They died in their body underwater. Yeah. And we're done. Yeah. Um, I looked up something interesting. So we're kind of winding down on time here, so we need yeah. to finish up. But um, this table of nations in chapter 10 was really interesting to me. Um, and so I looked up, there's a site called BibleHistory.com, and it's got a table of nations of kind of how, where the different nations of the earth came from as far as Noah's boys. So Shem was all the Semitic nations. So Jewish. Yeah. So they have him listed as um, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Lydians, and the Syrians. The Assyrians and the Syrians, both. And then Ham, they have listed as the four Hamitic nations were Cush, which is the Ethiopians, Mizram, which is the Egyptians, uh, Fut or Put or Foot or Put or however you say that, which later became the Libyans, North Africa, and Canaan, which was of course the Canaanites. So that was kind of interesting. And then Japheth, the nations that the Japhetic nations um, were all the European ones that settled around the Black Sea, Germany, Sp France, Spain, British Isles, uh, Magog became the Scythians, uh, Javan or Javan or however you pronounce that became the Greeks, Tubal. I was curious, that's the one that actually got me looking was who's Tubal, what is that? And that was the Turks, um, Meshek, Meshach, Meshach, however you pronounce that. Those Slavic nations all came from him. The Etruscans were from Tiros, stuff like that. So that was kind of, so Japheth was all the European nations and Ham was the African nations and Shem was all the Semitic nations. I thought that was kind of interesting.
Yeah. Yeah, well, we all go back there some way or another. Um, We're going to go through 11. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I read 11, a lot of that's descendants and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the Tower of Babel. And again, there's really precious little told to us about what actually happens. Yeah. And as I was reading the actual text just in Genesis, there's not a lot. I know. Nope. And, and I realized, wow, so much of what I bring to this is through tradition, it's through assumptions, uh -huh. it's through uh, it being mentioned metaphorically elsewhere. Yeah. There's, it's not a lot. Mm -mm. It's just the, the people are settled down and they say, let's make a name for ourselves so that we don't get spread out. And we're going to make this amazing uh, tower. And it specifies what they made it out of, which yeah. I thought was interesting because now all of a sudden they're working with tar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they, they build this thing and with its top in the heavens. And I don't know what that means. Does that mean it was truly a skyscraper? Or they're like, we're going to make this thing 300 feet tall. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. And and yet God comes down again and says, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you have a plan. And I am going to step in here at this point. He doesn't do that all the time. Yeah. But here earlier in Genesis, we see that happening more often. And he does. And they're dispersed all over the earth. And this is where we go with Karen, what you're talking about about these races yeah. being in different places, being different groups. Mm -hmm. um, One thing I thought was out. interesting, I actually got to chuckle out of this um, in verse four, it says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. To who? This is like the one group of people on the earth. Who are they going to make a name for themselves to? Okay. Well, they were interested in a, uh, in a legacy. And Babel shows up, and the idea of Babel being um, confusion mm -hmm. and uh, many languages and so on like this is is um, it shows up again and again and again. It's it, it it becomes a metaphor later. Babel Babylon is the literal, and it becomes um, a metaphor through um, through the. Even before the uh, Babylonians came and took the Israelites into captivity, it was a metaphor. Yeah. And then it shows up again, big time in Revelation. Yeah. Not as the nation of Babylon, because that's gone. Because it was prophesied, and I believe it's Isaiah, that the, um, the city of Babylon would be raised and knocked down and never inhabited again. Which, by the way, is true. You can look it up on Google um, Google Maps, mm -hmm. that thing is scraped still today. Saddam Hussein wanted to re rebuild it and right. be the new. He didn't get any of that done. Right. It, is, it is nothing. When God says, okay, you know what? I'm drawing a hard line here and this isn't yeah. going to happen. People can try and do whatever they want to. And it's just, God says, no, this far, no farther. That's it. And apparently that was a thing that happened in the Tower of Babel. And there's there's got to be some backstory here. Yeah. As to where God shows, I think it's, it's almost, I hate to use the word, but cute, you know, where, where the Lord says, um, you know, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built what as if he couldn't see what it. What are from, those kids up to? Yeah. As if he couldn't see it from heaven. Yeah. But he, he does, he comes, whatever that means, shows up and looks at it and says, nope, 
And then, nope, it doesn't, yeah. does not happen. Yeah, I guess the takeaway from the, the, the Tower of Babel story is just that God's got plans and your plans may not, may not match up. Well, and that's where I go back to Noah and say, like, well, it's better to be doing God's plans and because yeah. that's how you get through these things. And it's not, it's not a, it's not from a perspective of he's going to punish you unless you do X, Y, and Z. It's like the destruction is coming mm-hmm. anyways, and he wants to save you Yeah, this is not so that you, so that you can be saved. You got it. X, Y, and Z is what it takes. Yeah. It's not the inversion of that. Well, it occurs to me too that there's nothing in the text that indicates that they <clears throat> made any inquiry from God if they should build this thing. You know, uh, you can think of later on down the roads when when uh, uh, kings went off and decided to attack cities and didn't talk to God first, or they decided to make sacrifices when they weren't supposed to. You know, they just I'm going to do this thing, and um, I think it'll be okay. And God said, No really not you didn't ask you should have asked well what so i'm really excited that we're studying the bible through chronologically because i think it i think it helps take a step back and see the flow of history and for me when i take a step back and see the flow of history i see the bigger plan i see that there is a bigger plan yeah. i see that it has been implemented in and around human will or perhaps in spite of human will in yeah. many instances. And when I see that that has happened through history and that it is so well documented, then I take a look at the future of the world and I'm not scared. Yeah. Because it's still part of the same plan. Yeah. And yeah, there's going to be some icky stuff that goes on, but it's part of the plan. Yeah. And then it makes me feel less claustrophobic because I'm a I'm a very independent thinker. And there's times where even as a lifelong Christian, it bothers me to think that, well, sure, I can step outside of God's will and I can make my own choices, you know, but you're going to die and stuff. Okay? Yeah. So if I think of that as personally directed at me, which if I get in a selfish mode, I can do, well, then that really bothers me. Like, where's my sense of choice? Okay, but when I see the bigger plan, then I'm like, no, that's huge. I can buy into that. Yes. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah. That is the flow of the world, and I want to be part of it. Yes. Right. So it completely changes my perspective, and it, and it, what it does is it gives me willingness. Mm-hmm. In fact, eagerness to step up and be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, I think that's about all the time we have for today, um, and that's a great place to start to think of that, or to stop here, but to think of that plan that's before us coming up. Um, we're going to continue next week. We're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to walk out of Genesis this time. We're going to get into the book of Job now because uh, uh, that Job is a very, very old book, probably even older than the book of Genesis, but story-wise, it seems like it fits in uh, at this point of things. Uh, at least most of the chronological plans I've looked at place Job here. So we're going to get into the book of Job to be studying chapters one through six and we'll be talking about that next week thanks for listening